0: This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Our second reading is from the letter of Paul, the first letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. Corinth being a major city in ancient Greece. We start at verse uh, 1 of chapter 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Look.
1: Well, good morning. Uh, it's terrific to see you here and in particular if this is your first time with us at St Mark's so or if you've been away for a while. Uh, we've been going uh, through a series as Philly mentioned on Paul's fruit of the Spirit and he mentions nine of these fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 and we've been going through that. You can actually pick up the, uh, the sermons on each of those fruit um, we've got a couple to go, but you could uh, uh, from our, our podcast. You could go and listen to those. Um, if you've got a commute, it's a great way to fill up a commute. Uh, but this week, we're uh, looking at this week. We're looking at at faithfulness. And so I'm going to pray and ask God to help us as we uh, seek to understand and be shaped. Understand Him and be shaped by Him. Will you join with me, our Lord and loving Heavenly Father? We ask that you would give us grace that we might hear Your words uh, inwardly that it would not be a word that uh, bounces, bounces off us, but a word that shapes us and is evident in our lives. For your glory. Amen. Well, to live as human beings, we depend on the faithfulness of others, just as others depend on our faithfulness. It's an essential glue that binds all our relationships together. We need to know that other people are consistent and reliable, and other people need to know it from us. We need trust. Making promises and trusting in the promises of others, spoken and unspoken, is the only way that you and I can face the future. The philosopher Hannah Arendt once said, promises are the uniquely human way of ordering the future, making it predictable and reliable to the extent that this is humanly possible. We trust, for example, the laws that govern us, that they will be judged fairly and upheld. We trust our business partners and employers and employees. We trust the universities and the scholars that do their research there. We still trust, up to a point, the banks we trust the medical profession, we trust our friends, we trust our spouses, we trust our families. And yet we now live in a world in which we are more suspicious and less trusting because we feel that the great institutions and the leaders of these institutions, and I sadly include the churches in this, have betrayed our trust have been untrustworthy. They have not been faithful. They have not repaid the faith we've put in them in kind. And so we are less inclined to be faithful to them. We are an uncommitted culture, a society of refraining from commitment, of less trust and faith. And this may be also something that you know more personally You may have experienced in your life a great betrayal. Someone who should have been a model of faithfulness to you. Someone in whom you put great faith or trust. Someone who explicitly made promises to you. Who's let you down. The mentor. The parent. The partner. Or maybe... Maybe you've been the betrayer yourself. You've been faithless, perhaps, when you should have been faithful. The wandering spouse, the absent parent, the lying friend, the deceptive or manipulative colleague. So our gut feeling now is that really, who's left to trust? The only person you can trust is, what? Well, it's yourself, isn't it? To thine own self be true is the mantra of our times. Who else can you really trust ultimately? But then again, even this isn't comforting. The weird thing about being human, or is it just me, is how little we can trust even ourselves to keep our own standards. This is the problem of faithfulness. We need it to face the future as human beings, and yet in human beings it is so fragile like tissue paper. Well as I said before we've been looking at Paul's list of what he calls the fruit of the spirit and they are the qualities we should see in Christians. Remember love, joy, peace, patience, kindness and generosity and now faithfulness. In each case remember we've begun with God because each quality is something that God has first. It's A quality we learn in the first place from how God does it. And it's no different with faithfulness. The Old Testament is full of testimony to God's faithfulness. Psalm 36 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. And in Psalm 86 we hear, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And in the book of Lamentations, which is written in the devastation of exile from the rubble of Jerusalem, from the wreckage of their civilization, we hear this great message of hope from the future. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. These songs were reflecting what Israel knew from her long history. They weren't just things they made up. They knew this from relating to God in person. God is utterly faithful to his people. He keeps his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and then to Moses, and to Joshua. He promised Sarah a baby, and she gave birth to Isaac. He promised the Hebrews a land and then took them out of Egypt and placed them in the land of Canaan. He was not fickle and he was not forgetful of them. He lived with them as their God. He was not absent from them and they were his treasured possession, his special people, his partners in his covenant. He made promises to them and he asked them to answer him, to respond to him. But how did Israel respond to God's faithfulness? How did they go about keeping his covenant? Well, we know too well the stories of their repeated spiritual adultery. They worshipped other gods, the Baals and Asterisks, those great uh, ancient Near Eastern idols. They went through the motions of lavish worship at the temple. Oh, they were religious. But then they ignored the poor and the vulnerable. They trampled the refugees who lived within their midst. They ignored the calls for justice. And that led to a national disaster. Their country was destroyed and their people enslaved. And at this moment... You could have been forgiven, perhaps, or they might have been forgiven for asking, has God been faithless? Has God forgotten us? Has God neglected his own promises? I guess that's one way of seeing it, isn't it? We're in a mess because God's betrayed us. God's now clearly favouring the Babylonians or the Assyrians or someone else, the nation up the road. Where things go badly for you and me, we might be tempted to think something of the same. If we say when things go well, well, God is faithful, he's good. Then when things go badly, do we say, God's broken his promises, he's forgotten me, he's absent. Why haven't I been spared this pain if God is so faithful? But although that's natural, it's actually, with respect, a primitive and nearsighted sort of spirituality. What songs do the prophets of Israel sing from the rubble and dust in Jerusalem? Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. There is no shadow of turning with thee. God's faithfulness to Israel as his covenant, their covenant partner, includes speaking truth to their faithfulness. He does not let them make a joke of him. Someone said after the eight o'clock service, and it's exactly right, you know, loyalty is a virtue that must be mixed with truth and righteousness, right? Because you can be a loyal camp commandant at Auschwitz. You can be a loyal pirate. You can be loyal to evil, can't you? Loyalty itself is not is not enough. And we find in God that he is not loyal without justice. He is not faithful without righteousness. He does not let his people make a joke of him. But that's not the end of his faithfulness because God also finds a way to keep his promises despite the unreliability of his people. He is able to keep his justice as well as to keep his relationship with his people. And that's why the Bible story told over the many centuries that it's told vectors in towards the cross of Jesus Christ, which is a moment of sheer genius. Because in the cross of Jesus Christ, when Jesus died upon the cross, God simultaneously proved himself true to his promises to have a people for himself, to save his people, and in it also judges their sin. He shows there that he does not ignore our sin, but in his faithful, steadfast love for us, he justifies us. He keeps his side of the bargain. And also, in Jesus Christ, keeps our side of the bargain as well. As Paul says in Romans 3, What if some were unfaithful? Will their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? No way. That's my translation. Although everyone is a liar, let God be proved true. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We are inconstant, unreliable, and faithless. But God is is utterly faithful. And so from the midst of the rubble, you can look to the cross and know that God is true. When your money is gone and when your body is turning against you, when you're a nobody and your friends or family have betrayed you, or perhaps worst of all, when nobody clicks like on your social media updates, know this, God is faithful to you in Jesus Christ. But even more profoundly, know this, when you've been faithless and when you've been disobedient, when you've made a mess of your relationships, when you can't believe what you've done, when you don't even recognise your own heart and you're only too aware of your own failings, God is faithful to you in Jesus Christ. God will not abandon you, though you are fickle, not even in your sin. He says a definite no to your sin, but just as surely he says yes to you. And Jesus' story of the prodigal son is perhaps the best illustration of this deep reality. The boy in the story shows complete contempt for his father. Father, give me the inheritance now. I kind of wish you were dead. I'd want your stuff. I don't want you. And he goes, of course, into a far country and squanders all that money on hedonistic pursuits, wine, women, and song. And yet when he discovers that all has turned to ash, he returns home in sorrow asking only to be admitted back into his father's house as a slave, he finds at the end of the driveway his father not standing there sternly, tut-tutting, but waiting for him with open arms. God is faithful. God is the constant still point is the hook on which you can hang everything and this then is the key for us in having faithfulness ourselves knowing the faithfulness of god for us it can only begin by turning to god above all as the one in whom we can trust God is trustworthy. He is reliable. Not as a Toyota is reliable, but because his love is constant. He's not reliable in a machine-like way, impersonal and regular in that sort of clockwork fashion. He's reliable because his love is steadfast. God is the rug that will never be pulled from under your feet, the rock on which it is wise, as Jesus taught to build. In America, they've rather bizarrely inscribed it on the coins, but we should write it on our hearts, in God we trust. And then, from the trustworthiness of God for us in Jesus, we can go about cultivating the fruit of faithfulness in our lives. And so we need to be faithful in two areas, remembering the faithfulness of God for us We need to be faithful in two areas, faithfulness in return to God, faithfulness to the faithful God, and faithful to others. So first of all, be faithful to the faithful God. How else should we respond to the great faithfulness that God has shown us in Christ Jesus? In Christ, God shows himself to be wholehearted about us. And so how could we be half-hearted about him? And this morning I want to remind you, if you've been baptised or confirmed, baptised as an adult or confirmed, you were asked this question in the service. Will you, with God's help, strive to keep his holy will and commandments and serve him faithfully throughout your life? And you promised. And so I want to challenge you now. What does that promise look like in your life in some times and places, being faithful to God means owning the name of Jesus Christ when it will cost you dear to do it. The challenge may be direct. Disown Christ or we will destroy you. That's what our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, in North and West Africa, in, and in China face today, right now. Will you be faithful to God and suffer? Or will you deny him? Now, for us here this morning, the challenge of faithfulness is somewhat different. Though I was speaking to someone just yesterday who said, I don't mention that I'm a Christian because there's a sort of shamefulness about it. People look at me strangely in the workplace. I just don't mention it. So here's the challenge. Will you be faithful to God when you are challenged to disown or disobey him or to sell him short? Jesus' parable that we heard this morning from Luke's Gospel challenges us to look at what we've been given by God. Do we use it for his glory as his trustworthy servants? Now I see the beginnings of a marvellous faithfulness to God here at St Mark's in our community. There are people who encourage me week by week in their consistency and faithfulness to God, their faithful testimony to the goodness that God has shown them in Jesus Christ. There are people who courageously, and but graciously, stand for Jesus. There are people who make inconvenient choices because it honours God, even when they work in industries that are not necessarily very pro-Christian or live in family arrangements which are hostile. There are people who serve God here faithfully, year in and year out. For example, those who teach scripture at Double Bay or those who serve us morning tea or those who drive people to church or those who visit people, or those who provide food for rough edges week in, month in, month out. There are people here who humbly seek to know more and more of God's wisdom because the faithful God has been faithful to them, so they want faithfully to know more of him. So with those examples in mind, what's it going to mean for you to be faithful to God right now? Where do you have a chance to return God's kind trustworthiness to you with loyalty to him? And secondly, as someone who is faithful to God, the faithful God, be a faithful person in your relationships. People who know the faithfulness of God should should be known for their faithfulness. Are you known for your reliability and your faithfulness? Trustworthiness, not just trustworthiness, Trust, but trustworthiness builds secure families and communities and it enables love to grow. Or you can con someone into trusting you, but are you trustworthy? The theologian Lewis Smedes once said, some people still make promises and keep those they make. When they do, they help make life around them more stably human. So be that person, the steadfastly reliable person upon whom others can depend. If you are married, be faithful to the promises you made on your wedding day. Will you love her or him, comfort her, honour and protect her, and forsaking all others, be faithful to her or him as long as you both shall live? What are you doing to live out these promises, to develop wholehearted love for your spouse and to protect it? What about as a brother or a sister or a parent or a child? Are you a rock of trustworthiness? Can people count on you? As a friend, are you a very present help in time of trouble as God is to us? Or do you vanish when there's nothing to be gained? Oh, it's easy to be the friend of the person who's good company, the friend of the person who's generous and has, gives you advantage, the person who's going to give you a great reference. But are you a present friend when things are hard for people? Likewise, in your financial and business dealings, are you known for your integrity or do you pay, do you pay reliably? Are you faithful with your financial promises as much as you humanly can be? Now, it can be very difficult to be faithful to a person who is faithless. That might be your situation. What about when a person is a habitual liar or inconstant or deeply unreliable in some way? When you can't predict their emotions, when they're even abusive, Now I think here, we need to remember God as our model of faithfulness. When he was faithful to Israel, he did not give up on them, but he does not ignore their bad behaviour either. Being faithful to a person may mean saying no to them. Being faithful to a person means being faithful to God and his righteousness first. That's the context for our faithfulness. It may be entirely consistent with the kind of faithfulness that Paul wants us to have as a friend or a spouse or a family member to hand someone over to the consequences of their actions. I think this is what God shows us himself. But as we endeavour in our weakness to be trustworthy and true, as you think now, this week, how can I be more faithful as a person, more reliable, more like the faithful God? We remember that we are surrounded and secured by the faithfulness of the Lord. That hook on which we can hang everything, whose faithfulness is great, and of whom we can sing. Great is thy faithfulness. There is no shadow of turning in thee. All I have needed, thy hand is provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources, and find more information about the community of St Mark's.